Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason, a guy who is not Billy. <laughs> and I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And we're going to do the continuation of Billy's story, the uh, the recovery years, you know, part two. But I, we did have one small piece of recap. So we got this message on our contact form on our website, which is recoverysortof.com. And while I'm talking about that, we're on Facebook and Instagram. If you like really dark recovery memes <laughs> or addiction memes, uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Reddit. We're on YouTube if you'd like to see our faces while we talk, and I think you can see them on Spotify now as well. Rate, like, review, subscribe, share with your friends, donate to us, whatever, all that great stuff. But anyway, so our contact form on our website, we got a message from Refugio Zan, which I'm probably mispronouncing, and it says, I called you two times. Why didn't you pick up? I'm horny. Please call me. <laughs> so that must have been for Billy. Uh, answer your phone, Billy. I don't know. Uh, but that's it for, for recap. <laughs> so let's jump right back in. So you told us last time, uh, you know, you were born at a young age and uh, then you worked your way up until recovery, kind of. So tell us about entering recovery and what happens from there. Yeah. So... Uh, I was 26 years old. Um, like I say, my life was a mess. I had just violated another probation, which I had a four year prison sentence. I would have had to back up and just was like, what the fuck? This is not how my life was supposed to be going. Um, and for whatever reason, I had that moment of clarity, that moment of like, could drugs really be what's causing all this problem? You know, is it really, you know, is it really me? Like, Whatever. And then at that moment, I made a decision that I was going to try recovery versus killing myself. Hmm. Um, and I had just remembered over the years, court ordered whatever knew there was a meeting at our local health department on Wednesdays at eight o'clock, eight o'clock. Coincidentally, <laughs> this was a Tuesday. And so oh. the next day was Wednesday. And so I smoked all the weed I had and I'm sure I got all <laughs> fucked up that night. And the next day just decided that I was going to try this recovery thing now it i know it's probably hard to <laughs> you know figure this out in your head at this moment but when you decided when you made that decision in your head that i'm gonna try recovery instead of killing myself what did you think that meant like well how did you picture recovery looking at that point oh well so i don't know that it was really even that thought out it was more like i gotta do something different mm. like this this isn't working okay maybe i'll try this you know meetings thing i mean it's probably more how i looked at it okay. maybe i'll try this meetings thing. <laughs> um uh, because i had had a situation a couple of months prior to all of that i had actually stopped every i said man i'm gonna get my life together i'm gonna fucking start being healthy and going to the gym and exercising and eating right and get off drugs you know it's like a health thing more than a 
I want to be clean kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I did that for probably about three months. I quit smoking cigarettes, started going to the gym every day, started like eating better and doing all these health things. And at the end of that, you know, I ended up, I, I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't stay longer than that three months. The drive to just get fucked up, hmm. overpowered what was what uh, what I would have called willpower up to that because I did all that for that couple of months with no kind of meetings or nothing. I just fucking stopped one day and said, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. I feel like that's incredible in itself. This idea that like even doing all these healthy practices that, you know, it, if you told me somebody's going to stop using drugs and go to the gym and eat healthy and do all these things, I'd be like, damn, they'd probably feel better, but <laughs> apparently not. Well, I'm sure I felt better. I mean, I, I do remember feeling better. I, not better enough. <laughs> no, not better enough. Because it didn't address the internal shit, the why that I, you know, used. I mean, the the why it was so appealing to be outside of my own skin. Mm -hmm. You know, I was still just as uncomfortable with myself. I didn't like myself. I wasn't like, yeah, I'm a great guy that should be proud of himself. Like, no, I still had all the cruddy shit that I had done for all these right. years. And, uh. Up until that point, I think I had lived off the belief that it really was just a like a willpower kind of thing. And that eventually I would just grow up and grow out of it and get my shit together. And then what I felt like was my at my best and most sincere desire to do that. I couldn't fucking do it. Hmm. I just couldn't do it. And so then I thought, well, maybe I'll go to these meetings and check that out and see what happens. I give you credit, though, like. That's way better than I ever could have done. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty impressive yeah. to just stop and try to do that. Yeah, I, I never yeah. seem to have. So it, when I got locked up and went to jail or when I went to treatment or all that stuff, I mean, I could stop for short periods of time mm. for different reasons. Oh, I got court coming up. I can't smoke any weed for two weeks or, you know, I got to be clean wow. for two weeks. I mean. Like, I was okay doing that kind of stuff, but I looked at that as saying, yeah, see, I am managing my using, mm -hmm. you know? I wasn't looking at the way that I used once I started. I guess, what do they call it, like a binge What are they user? They, like, I there's don't know. a saying for that. They say uh, you're looking more at the stopping than the using yeah. or something like that. Yeah, or the fact that I could stop for a couple of days or a week or two, you know? Right. I mean, I don't know what that... You sure you're an was. addict? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. My wife says that sometimes, too. <laughs> no. But, uh, yeah, so then I just decided I was going to go check out these meetings and see what they were about. You know, I kind of knew what they were about because I had been around before. But I, I guess I had made a decision I was going to go actually try that again mm -hmm. and see what happened. So uh, that was a Wednesday. I went to that Wednesday meeting at the health department. I went to another meeting the next day. I didn't use either of those two days. I made that meeting my home group. Which, if you don't know what that is, that's a meeting where you sort of commit to showing up every week and being a part of that group. Something, a commitment that you make on a regular basis that you're going to get involved and do something at. Yeah, that's but a lot of people join a home, a home group. group and then never show up again. You're right. <laughs> or come like three times and never show up yeah. again. So, you know, just making it your home group doesn't actually... Right. You know, that's that's the open-mindedness, I guess, but not the willingness. Yeah, right. You got the open-mindedness, not the willingness. So uh, when you went to this Wednesday meeting, what was that like? Did you talk to anybody? Did no, anybody talk oh, to I'm you? No, I'm sure not. Did no, you I'm raise sure your hand I sat in the I'm back new? and uh, I might have said I was new. I probably, I'm pretty sure I went and got a white key tag, which is the tag? thing at the meeting. And nobody that you talked do to you afterwards? End. Um, I maybe, 
Mm. I probably didn't want to talk to people. I mean, I was all fucked up mentally and emotionally and right. spiritually. And, you know, I, the thing was, having come in and out of meetings over the years, I had seen people that I recognized. You know, uh -huh. the woman that's now my wife was actually at that meeting. I uh -huh. saw her then. And I don't remember if I actually talked to her then. Um, I probably didn't. Like, I probably did the thing where I sat in the back. Like, I came in right when the meeting started, sat in the back. As soon as the meeting ended, I left. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I probably did that. Um, you saw Jen and said, if I'll I stay clean, I'm going to get with her. <laughs> but she was with someone else at the time. And her and so, I never actually dated back mm. when she was around. Before she was married at the time. We were just friends because there wasn't a lot of young people around. Right. Um, yeah. And that started. A, I mean, I guess when I came back, I already knew from previous experiences all the quote unquote expectations you know what i mean go to 90 meetings in 90 days get a home group get a sponsor start working steps like i knew all those things and i had made a decision that i was going to do all of those things from day one like that uh, wasn't uh you know so your first three steps were already in action uh probably yeah <laughs> i mean it's like where... that when they're beaten you become willing right. it was kind of that thing how'd you know where the thursday meeting was um, the meetings hadn't changed very much uh -huh. over the years. It was still at the same place and it was out. And the reason I picked it as my home group mostly had to do with its location and where it was. I really liked that area. It was a really pretty area of the county. It's kind of out away from other things. Mm. And, you know, at this really cool old church that <laughs> is like a picturesque building. So anyway, gotcha. that's the only reason I, the biggest reason I picked it. So what were those first few months like? Like the, the, the getting the sponsor, the integrating yourself with the recovery community and all. Um, for myself, it was weird. So I still lived in a house with all the guys that I used with every day, mm. um, which was difficult. I mean, it didn't feel overly difficult at the time, but I don't know that I would recommend that to people right. you know it just i didn't really have anywhere else to go i mean if i was really desperate i probably could have found somewhere to go but i lived in this place and i paid rent and i thought i can do this i'll just go to meetings um but what that did was uh motivated me to try to reach out to people and see what people did and not want to go hang out at home like mm. i would actually say to people like look i live in a house with guys that are like drinking and using every day what, what do people do like outside of just i don't want to just go home and right. you know we'd go out to eat we do stuff people went bowling they did stuff i don't know huh. normal life stuff <laughs> which when you're using all the time you don't know what normal life stuff is right. like you just think using is what normal life stuff is you don't realize there's all these other normal life stuff you can do that doesn't involve using i feel like that takes a lot of humility like to to come in and say I don't even know what the hell people do. <laughs> I just need to not go home. That's wild. So I, okay. So it may have been more, not that I didn't necessarily know what people did. Cause I was a pretty social person. Like I said, I maintained a job and my parents owned a business and I could dress up nice and go out to business dinners and do that. So I kind of knew what people did, I guess I would say. Um, what I didn't know there is goes what the humility, <laughs> yeah, what did I like? 
or what did I want to do or what things was I interested in? Right. Like all I was ever interested in was getting fucked up. And then right. it didn't matter what we did. Yeah. We could go fucking roller skating, bowling, <laughs> jump off cliffs, whatever it was. As long as I was fucked up, I'm game. You right. know? But when you take that away, like what do I want to do now? Like how do I have conversations when you go out to dinner with people? Like well, what do you talk about? Yeah. Well, we talked about was getting fucked up playing video games because that's what we did. <laughs> you know, this house full of guys that I live with, that's what we did. We all got fucked up playing video games. Wow. That was back in the days like Super Mario Brothers. Uh, no. Tomb Raider. <laughs> Tomb Raider was big back then. Oh, uh, it was like PlayStation 1 out? Yeah. Okay. And uh, a lot of sports. We did like a lot of sports games because you could compete against each other. So anyway. <laughs> um. Football and hockey. Madden was out then. I don't Madden. remember which year, but Madden it was like was blocks, out. though. No, it's like block <laughs> it wasn't people. That long ago, it's two thousand. So it was this decade. Yeah. <laughs> or no, not this. Jesus. Um. Anyway, so I just started going to meetings, and and turns out there was uh, at least one or two people that I knew from either over the years coming in and out of meetings. There was a guy that I was locked up in jail with guy that I knew that I used to use with, you know, people like that, that you just, people that had disappeared out of my life or coming in and out of my life at different times that were here. And so I just started to build relationships and I jumped right in with both feet and made recovery sort of became my identity. I guess you would say hmm. I was going to meetings every day. Um, I hung out with people that went to meetings every day. Um, I, that's what I did. Got involved in service commitments, you know, went to like the area service meeting and got a service commitment. So I was involved in that. And, uh, that's what I did for the next couple of years. Got a sponsor, started doing step work. I mean, my life really became about recovery. How long did you stay in the house with the using people? Uh, I don't remember exactly. I want to say a couple of months. Um, it was probably between one and two or three months. I don't remember, like say it's hard to remember exactly. Yeah. Basically long enough to like save up some money. And at the time I was there, I mean, they, they were pretty decent guys. Like I would just tell them like, look, man, I violated this probation. I'm trying to stay out of jail. I can't get fucked up anymore. And they're like, oh, that's cool. That's, you know, mm. and they would kind of leave me alone. Now they still did what they were doing and we're all drinking and carrying on and smoking weed every day. And they didn't quite, we didn't get into a whole conversation about like, I'm going to these meetings and doing this thing. It was just, I was doing my thing and they were doing their thing and we were fine with that. Um, so there wasn't a lot of like pressure to use or anything peer. I mean, we were guys in our late twenties. It was like, we were beyond like the peer pressure shit. You know, right. we were like adults at that point. <laughs> and I guess adults still peer pressure, but, um, I'd have probably peer pressured people in my late twenties. If they had some money, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? come on, you know, you want to go get one and buy me one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so then I got an apartment. I found an apartment. I was like, I don't want to stay in this place with these people using. I saved up a little bit of money and got my own apartment in my own name, um, which was like a first of me doing shit on my own, you know? Got an apartment, set up some utilities, started paying bills, started being this responsible, productive member of society, I guess. <laughs> was there any pushback from the house? Was that like an awkward thing to tell them you were moving out? Uh, no. I mean, not yeah. that I remember. 
might have been. I don't I don't remember. I mean, I still stayed friends with those guys. One of those, the guy that owned the house was actually in my wedding when huh. I got married years later. So, and I, I wasn't one of those people, and, and I'm not saying it's good or bad or indifferent, but I wasn't a person that's like, oh, uh, all my using friends are complete piece of shit assholes, and they're only with me, be, you know, only my friends because I want to have to give them. Like, my experience was those weren't, the people that were in my life now there were different points in my life where i'd had those people those guys that were in my life at that point were people i had known for a lot of years we had sort of grown up together we had a you know 15 year relationship from childhood up into our early 20s and we just we supported each other and got along and when i decided that's what i was doing they were like hey man we get it that's awesome that's what you need to do for you we're not going to do that but that's cool <laughs> you know what i mean like right. there was no like oh you're a fucking asshole or none of that and and so i mean i wasn't hanging out with them i wasn't like hey let's go all hang out at the bar i got this recovery thing now i'm good you know it wasn't any of that <laughs> but we would still talk and you know occasionally keep in touch but where are they now one of them is a mortgage broker or does home refinancing and mortgages down in Baltimore. Um, now, I haven't talked to him in quite a few years now. I mean, we've gotten all different directions. Um, another one of them I actually just ran into fairly recently. He does filming and production for a company. Turns out my company was filming some commercials that I was involved with, and he was a guy doing the camera shoots and shit for them. So it was cool to see him there. And we caught up and I hadn't seen him in a lot of years. So I talked to him. Um, another guy, he fixes like off-track betting gambling machines for <laughs> this big company. So he travels all over the country, you know, goes all over the place. He lives, I think, down in Towson. But he travels all over the place all the time. So for none of them turned into addicts, huh? Those guys didn't. So, and that's where my story is a little that's weird. Interesting. Yeah, that's definitely when different. When I... When I stopped using hard drugs and got away from, like, the heroin and all that shit when I went to jail, when I got out of jail, I went and hung out with a different set of friends than all the heavy user drug uh. friends. The guys that I hung out with after I got out of jail were guys that really just drank probably more than they should have. And they were, like, what I would consider your, like, today's, like, productive alcoholics. Like, uh. I don't know if you've seen those people that are, like, maybe they're, like the baseball coach or whatever that all they ever talk about is getting drunk on the weekends or, you know, you go to their house for a party and they got fridges full of beer and they right. drink all the time. Like these guys were probably those guys <laughs> just younger right. um, before their families and shit. Um, now the guys before that, like the guys that I used with all the time before I went into jail, when I was heavy into like heroin and heavy drugs, a lot of them are dead, mm. you know, well, let's see one, two, yeah, at least, out of five of them that I can think of right off the top of my head, four of them are dead. One of them's still alive. I've talked to him over the years coming in and out of meetings. He's coming in and out of meetings a couple of times. Um, he'll seem to get his life. He'll come to meetings for a little bit. He'll slow down or manage his using for a little bit, go through a couple years, and then eventually it tanks off and he ends up back in treatment. Mm. And, you know, and uh, that's probably the, the five of the guys that are, you know, that I was closest with. Right. Okay, so you get a couple years, you're, you're Mr. N.A. You're, yeah, so, well, uh, I did in. also got involved with my wife with a couple of months clean. So I got clean in August, September, October, November, once a three months. Uh, so, like, we were dating by, like, 
November, December. So I had three or four months clean. Yeah, don't leave and out her the and I started. <laughs> yeah, her and I started dating. Um, you know, I don't know. She had a lot of time clean. At the, she had 11 years clean at the time, and I was just <laughs> a couple of months clean. And that had its own. And she had a – it was a little odd. So she was at the end of a breakup or going through like a breakup with a guy when I first – came around and the truth was when i first got clean i was not interested in a relationship it's not like oh i want to find a girlfriend and settle down yeah i was a fucking mess i was i was depressed and suicidal you know what i mean like a relationship now i mean as i fixed you yeah no i wasn't there yet i did get there but i wasn't there (laughs) but uh you know she was dating this other guy and him and i had actually become friends you know we were all friends we kind of hung out together some and him and her were in this breakup that had nothing to do with me or and I had nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? It was its own end of their relationship. And then they had, uh, I don't know. They did the typical breakup. They broke up and then the week they were back together and then they get back together for a couple of days. And then this was a terrible idea. And then they were not <laughs> together again. And it was this back and forth thing. Right. So I had started talking to her. I think she was in my home group at the time or joined my home group. I can't remember. Um, but we had started talking and we had remembered each other from years before, because again, there wasn't back when I came in early recovery, there wasn't a lot of young people like in their teens and twenties. So the few of us that were around got pretty close, you know, and, uh, you know, it was just, Oh, I'd always wondered what happened to you and what have you been doing over the years and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, her and I just hit it off and we kind of started dating and, as her and that other guy broke up, and I'm sure in the beginning it was more we just hung out, went to meetings together, and you know that guy that hated you. Yeah, oh yeah, he. I'm sure he did. Oh, well, that's yeah. The lesson in there is don't make friends with anybody in NA, so that way you don't have to feel bad about <laughs> yeah. stealing their girl later. No, um, well, like I say, I whatever. I, I mean, I didn't have anything to do with any of that, but. Yeah, that's the so bro I, code, man. Oh, uh, <laughs> we weren't that good of friends. <laughs> yeah, no, they were broke up. Um, and I'm sure that had something. To, I mean, I, there was parts of my life always that I would say, like, oh, if I just had like the right woman, and yeah. I, that would get me to like settle down and have a family and all that stuff. You know, right. that would be what I need to to get me on track. Then that would be the motivation to stop. Um. So, yeah, so her and I started dating, and and that actually, weirdly enough, was good motivation to stay involved and to actually be more involved. Um, A lot of people would, you know, the cliche sayings like, oh, you're never going to make it. It's not going to work out. You're going to use, you know, all that stuff. And as at the time, what I would say, like an egomaniac person, I was like, well, I'm going to fucking show you. Uh Like, I'm going to up my recovery. I'm going to go to more fucking, I'm going to go to three meetings on Friday and fuck you. You know, I'll show you this relationship isn't, you know, going to take me out. So you're saying that by them being critical and judgmental, they actually helped you. <laughs> In my case, yes. Huh. Maybe that's where we get our differences of opinion sometimes <laughs> because that criticism motivates me in a weird way. And I know it doesn't for everybody, but yeah, that's, that's funny. Yeah. So that was one of the things where I was like, well, I'm going to make sure. And, and part of this is I had a sponsor that didn't tell me not to get in relationships. Mm-hmm. What he told me was, you know, 
whatever you put in front of your recovery, you will lose. Mm. So if you put this relationship as a priority in your life and lose focus on staying clean in your recovery, chances are it's not going to work out so good. So here's where perspective comes into play. You spent all these years thinking it was the dudes being critical that motivated you. And I say it was that one guy being compassionate and gentle with you. And saying, it's all right, Billy. Like, you just can't put it in front of your recovery. Yeah. I mean, I'm the one <laughs> asshole voice now that runs around in meetings and tells people. It doesn't say anywhere in our literature not to get in relationships for a year or any of that. And right. People make that shit up. That's rehab <laughs> shit. That ain't anything that's in our literature. <laughs> you know? Get in all the relationships you want. Fuck hmm. it. You know? Just don't put them in front of your recovery. So... Was there was there like judgment towards you? So I my story kind of uh, had this point where I got with somebody who was p- kind of popular in NA and well liked and and attractive and a lot of guys you know flocked towards her direction. And when I dated her, I felt really important. I was like, oh, I feel like I'm somebody in NA. But I also feel like it inspired you know people to not dig me so much. <laughs> um. I wouldn't say that. So, I mean, I, I did leave that part out. So my wife was a person in this area at that time who was pretty popular. She sponsored a ton of women. A lot yeah. of people knew who she was. She had a lot more clean time than most people around at the time. And she was Mrs. N.A., you know, in this area. So it was kind of a a big deal. And for a while, I was kind of just kind of known as like, oh, that's Jen's boyfriend. Yeah. You know, it was that kind of thing. And I didn't take that as feeling important. I've took it as sort of like I'm going to forge my own path and do my own thing and figure out my own identity. Um, And in a healthy way, like I had my own friends and made my own relationships that were completely separate from like her friends and her relationships Mm -hmm. and like my service commitments and what I did, you know, were separate for and uh, on purpose. You know what I mean? Like I on purpose didn't get involved like if she was involved with something i didn't even get involved with that i got involved in something else um we we had separate home groups for a long time we ended up in the same home group um that was a couple years later because we had small kids and it was easier to have the home group on the same night because we're trying to get you know get out to meetings as much um yeah so that relationship you know and it was also helpful that she was very big into recovery like even with a lot of time she was still a person that went to meetings regularly that had you know service commitments that sponsored a bunch of women i mean she wasn't the type of person that went to one meeting a week and had nothing to do with recovery like recovery was still a major part of her life too so going to three or four meetings in a week for her wasn't a big you know that was fine that was completely fine and she never like tried to talk me into because i know this happens sometimes where it's like one person gets to be like "Ah, i don't want to go to meetings all the time and you're going out too much and i never got any of that so that was supportive you know um and i was lucky i had family that supported me they were really uh glad to sort of have me back and see me doing well and you know i was still working for my family's business at the time which they were actually in the process of closing down. So my family had this retail business that had been in business since 1899, and it had been started by William Turk Sr., and I was William Turk V, and only wow. William Turks had ever run it, you know, so I was 
as a kid growing up, like I thought that was my destiny, my lineage, you know, that was what was going to happen. I was going to inherit this retail business, which was at points in time quite successful. They had 40 some retail stores and malls all across the East Coast. And, you know, like I just thought that's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life, you know. So going to college or doing any of that wasn't as big a deal for me because I didn't like naively i felt like well i don't have to go make my way in the world so to speak like i'm just stepping into this role that's i've been destined for you know when i get my shit together and then by the time i actually got my shit together the company was actually closing they were in a their second bankruptcy and were going out of business and uh that was tough like i was like fuck what am i gonna do now like i had no idea i just realized now that your name is william yeah (laughs) i don't know why that never occurred to me (laughs) yeah so uh then i ended up getting a new and that was all right around 9 11 so that would have been 2001 Mm -hmm. yeah so uh right around 9 11 i was actually supposed to go for a job interview in annapolis uh for some retail chain you know because i had like management experience in retail from a young age and you know had managed stores and done that kind of thing and uh they canceled the interview because the planes were crashing into shit so yeah so that kind of stood out in my (laughs) mind but yeah i got in this relationship and got into recovery and uh within a couple of years i mean i started building a life i got uh a new job i found a job it's actually the one i'm still at now with a friend of mine who was a guy in recovery that you know, he saw once I got a year or so clean, he knew I was looking for a job. He said, hey, man, do you want to come check out my company? Come see if you want to work for me, you know, at which I had no idea anything about that business. It was a heating oil business at the time, which I knew fucking nothing about. Uh, but I said, yeah, and I went in a phone and I basically started as like a secretary. I mean, I used to not like to say that now. Like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> started as a secretary like i answered phones all day and you know how can i help you and just fucking did what people needed done you know what i mean and started at an entry level and at least you weren't selling light bulbs yeah <laughs> so the company i was gonna go yeah it wasn't selling light bulbs but the company i that canceled the interview was a lighting company huh. <laughs> so, so i might have been a holber had 9-11 not happen <laughs> um This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And yeah, then we slowly started to build a, uh, build a life, you know, my, uh, 
well, then she was my girlfriend at the time. She got pregnant. Um, we had a year or so. I mean, I had over a year clean, but she got pregnant. Um, we ended up, her dad, who we, we lived with her dad and took care of him. He was, uh, disabled. He had, uh, real bad health problems, health issues. And so we lived in his house and took care of him because he couldn't take care of himself. And she also had a child with a disability, which was incredibly, uh, difficult for me. So I didn't, I mean, now it's one of those elephant in the room things that you don't talk about. I would say right now, just off the cuff, like I didn't grow up in a house with mental health issues. The truth is I did. And right. I didn't know that at the time because they were very untreated. Mm -hmm. You know, now I can look back and say my mom, you know, definitely had some mental health issues. If nothing else, you know, definitely like a PTSD from her childhood. She was severely abused growing up in an alcoholic home. Um, and definitely had some mental health issues. That's all I, you know, I don't know what. Yeah. I can't diagnose it, especially now. But she definitely had some issues that shit just went unsaid. You know what I mean? Nobody really talked about it. And, uh, you know, to go into this environment where this kid was high, special needs, a lot of problems all the time. In the beginning, we didn't have a lot of outside supports. So it was, you know, my wife and I really trying to take care of this kid. Her dad was in and out of his, in and out of her life, depending on what stage of whatever he, cause he was, she had met him in recovery. He was a guy in recovery. He would, was not in recovery for a long time. You know, when I first met her, he had not been in the meetings for a long time. He had relapsed years ago, but he's been in and out over the years and will get clean and not be clean. And What's the age difference between you and the, the special needs child? Uh, she was 11 or 12 when I met Jen and I was 25, so like 15 years, 16 mm. years. Okay. Um, and she was a difficult kid, man. She yeah. had a lot of issues, um, behavioral and impulsive issues, uh, would scream and freak out and cuss you out and steal your stuff and mm. you know like okay i mean it's very hard to get into but it's yeah it, so it was a lot she was constantly in issues with school and we had very controlled diets and different things um so yeah so i moved in with jen and we took care of her dad and took care of her daughter and then we started having kids of our own and the whole time like everything based in you know recovery like spiritual living working steps trying to get better, trying to be healthy and be the best people we could be. And you never thought like, what in the fuck did I get myself into? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say like, God, I would have been plagued by that idea. Like, All this the time. is hard. So, and what's amazing, what's, what's kind of fun and it, it does, it's so opposite of what I am now. But growing up in a white collar family, in a white collar job, you know, I was very, and I, I hate to politicize things, but I'll say like Republican. Like, I don't know if anybody, if you would remember the show Family Ties and the kid Alex Keaton, he was like the, like young Republican. Oh, like Michael J. Fox. Yeah, Michael J. Fox was yeah. Alex Keaton. So that pretty much is how I looked at the world too. I didn't run around in a suit and tie right. when I was in high school, but <laughs> you know, that was my view of the world was like, you know, that whole pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Nobody's entitled to shit from the government. Like it's your job to make your way. And if you can't do that, then you just fucking need to crawl off somewhere and die because mm -hmm. there was like no, uh, and 
sympathy, no empathy for people or different struggles or understanding, hey, you know, some people just have breaks that other people don't get or whatever. That was not my mentality at all. Um, I was not much on, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, I'll say equal rights stuff with like homosexuality or gay or, you know, any of that, you know, transsexual stuff that was all freak weird shit to me. You know, it was like Mm -hmm. that typical naive idealistic young person with terrible ideas (laughs) um everything was about you and doing you know whatever you get is what you deserve was sort of my outlook on life and uh you know to get into this situation and then to meet her dad who was this guy who had worked his entire life supported three kids when his wife left you know his wife left and he sort of raised these three kids on his own worked two jobs to maintain this house and support his kids then got older and had some health problems and the company that he worked for was like hey thanks you know here's a watch good luck you know after and i that's a whole nother conversation about what companies owe you after 40 years of service if they mm-hmm. don't offer a pension in the beginning and you don't put no money away, whatever. But right. that was his situation. He was on Social Security. He was disabled. You know, he had one leg amputated and had all kinds of heart issues and everything else. Couldn't drive, you know, and mm. that's where he was in his life. And to see, like, man, that guy deserves fucking better than that like it's admirable that he worked these two jobs and took care of his kids and did all that stuff you mean the best we have to offer him is a couple hundred dollars a month and a good luck (laughs) you know so it was a very eye-opening experience to see and then to humanize people so i also like knew him like we would sit there and have conversations around dinner and he was this loving caring compassionate human being who just Sort of, maybe even you could say by bad choices ended up in this situation, but right. it still didn't mean he deserved to suffer at the end of his life. Nope, no matter bad what choices. his choices, throw him in the trash. Yeah, right, right. So it's very eye opening. And then to see, you know, this girl, you know, my stepdaughter with her disabilities and stuff, and to see like she didn't ask to be into this, and my wife had her in her twenties, and the amount of money that it takes to provide care for her you know, is just ridiculous. Like the amount of money that you need to do that kind of stuff. So she was on like social security disability and got a check for, from social security disability to try to take care of this kid's needs. And then on top of that, even when doctors and people would tell her she needed stuff, social security and disability would say, no, nah, she doesn't need that. Nah, we don't think we want to pay for that. <laughs> like, So it was fucked up, you know, to see like, wait a minute, we're the ones living and trying to support this kid. We're telling you and her doctors are saying she could use these things. She could need these supports. And you, some asshole that's never even met her sitting at a desk somewhere in some office in Baltimore have decided no. Like, right. what the fuck is wrong with this picture? Like, why? This is not in my idealistic version of, you know, how things go. That's not how things are supposed to go. So it really humanized some of that stuff for me and opened my mind to being just compassionate about like, hey, some people just got a fucked up draw. And is it really that inhumane to help them in whatever way we can? Is there, You know, anyway, um, that those experiences really kind of opened me up to uh new ways of thinking new experiences that i hadn't had in my life and uh being a different person and then along with learning spiritual principles of recovery and going through the steps and you know doing all that right 
And so within, I would say, like my first five years, that would probably be like my first five years. I had gotten this new job, this wife. We bought a house. I think we got married. Got married in 2015, I believe. Get that wrong. 2015? Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, 2005. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, got married in 2005. So that was like my – I always – like I joke with people. I'm like if I break my recovery up into five-year increments, things were completely different, you know, in each of those five years. So that was like my first five years was like building a life in the house with the, you know, two cars and the white picket fence and all that stuff. And so uh, my wife's father passed away. You know, we kind of got in a situation where her luckily her sisters and her, nobody was like greedy about shit. So they worked it out where we could use like her part of the inheritance to buy the house because he had a lot of debt and stuff as he got older. Um, so we use that to pay off his debt and we bought the house and we had this house on this couple acres and we were raising my stepdaughter and my other daughter at the time uh, i think we were uh, she was pregnant with another kid um so we were building a family building a life i had been at that job for a number of years um and then i got to that sort of ego place of my recovery like after five years where i'm like i'm fucking good now i can slack off i don't need to do as much um, I had a sponsor that had – my first sponsor that I had decided he didn't want to be around anymore, so he left and wasn't going to meetings or anything anymore. So I kind of got a new sponsor. He was a little different. I loved the guy very much, but he wasn't big on like specifically working steps. His whole thing – he came, I think, from an AA background a little bit. So it was more <laughs> that we just talk about them and then incorporate them into our life in different ways. And he sort of was like, oh, this writing and all the shit that we do drags it out forever. And that's really not probably the most practical way for people. Like once you get a few years clean, you know, that deep dive into each – so he – co-signed a lot of me not doing nothing i mean and he wasn't co-signing that he said some things what i heard was you don't really have to do any work um but a lot of it was ego and you know i got the house and the kids and the job and we're doing great and everything's good and we're building relationships we had rebuilt established relationships with my parents and you know her family and everything was going good um then probably about 10 years clean shit got pretty bad uh i say pretty bad i had fallen into an issue where my uh middle daughter and my older stepdaughter had been molested by their grandfather who was a guy that lived like right down the street from us he lived literally a block away you know from us and was around our kids all the time and you know had been in and out of their life and and we had found out this happened and it was pretty devastating i mean there was some and i had to minimize anything but we were lucky in that we have people in our lives people that have been through trauma even when we don't we had a lot of people in our lives and someone recognized something very early on like one incident happened with our daughter you know where she went down to his house and something happened, and when she came back, the young lady that was babysitting for us was like, something's not right. You know, what's going on? What's wrong with you? And was, because she was a person in recovery, was like emotionally aware, you know, and started sort of asking some questions, and we found out kind of what happened. Um, I don't know, man. That's just a testament to like being around people that are 
emotionally available and emotionally aware because like i think like i knew kids that babysat when i was a teenager and we were like drinking and getting high why somebody was supposed to be watching kids and you know what i mean it was like that just became the house that we partied at outside or whatever why somebody was supposed to be watching some kids and it's like if that situation was going on (laughs) who knows if anything would have been found out but um that was pretty devastating for me and my recovery. It had sort of wrecked the belief that as long as I do the right things, the right things are going to happen and life's going to go great. And I'm living this spiritual way and God owes me something. And, uh, I had lost sort of faith in all of that and God. And uh, because up till then I had went to a Christian church and did the whole, uh, we were pretty involved with the church for a long time. I used to pray a lot we did like bible studies at people's house and things like that you know and and that worked for a long time i don't regret that it was an amazing experience um growing up catholic i sort of had a terrible relationship with what i called god at the time and this had built a new relationship built on all kinds of good stuff you know it was really was good stuff but i took some expectations and some uh ideas into that new understanding that didn't work out in this situation i couldn't make sense of why this would happen why would any loving god allow this to happen you know those kind of things and uh at the same time my sponsor at that time was gone through a pretty uh difficult divorce so he wasn't available to me in a way that i needed and was used to he was going through his own thing and i was going through my thing and i just more or less like isolated and kind of shut down and just became angry and resentful and bitter and did that for a while you know of just being mad and and part of that was there was a lot of things going through counseling and things with our kid you know who's been through this situation and you know getting lawyers to go through legal proceedings because obviously we were pressing charges and you know, we were pushing forward. I mean, and again, another one of those untalked about things. So in my family growing up, when there was any of this sexual abuse kind of stuff, it was kept quiet, hush, hush in the family. You know, it was like things that people that knew talked about, but they didn't talk about it with everyone else. You know, right. it was like some shame or secrets in all that. And in our place in recovery where we were like, oh, no, this is we're fucking going forward and pressing charges. And like, this is. Like, we want to stop this. This isn't let's go talk to him and sweep this under the rug. Like, we press charges, and uh, we're pretty discouraged by the legal system. That was pretty discouraging, so that didn't help any. I mean, they basically gave him a couple of years probation for sexually assaulting two kids. Wow. More or less what they gave him. They said, because well, he was an Episcopal priest at the time. We did get him defrocked. He was taken out of being a priest, which was good. Defrocked might be one of the coolest words yeah. ever. <laughs> Feels good to say it. Yeah. Defrocked that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, we went through all that. And at the end of all that, they're kind of like, well, you know, he's been a good guy most of his life that we know about. So uh, we're going to give him a couple of years probation. Which, wow. Yeah, it was pretty disheartening. Um, you would think our society would do a little. But anyway, that more had to do with me and where I was. And I didn't deal well with a lot of that. So I was angry and bitter and resentful and stayed there for a couple of years. And then basically got to one of those another points where i was like on my knees like 
this is not what the fuck I want my life to be. How did it get here? Why am I like this? I hate everything and everyone, and I hate my life, and what the fuck? And so I made a recommitment to recovery. Um, I just decided I was going to, like, come back and get involved and start doing work, you know, because that's what it worked in the past. And uh, so that's what I did. I, you know, got a, whatever. I don't know if I got a new sponsor or just reacquainted with my sponsor at the time and... Because I always, in theory, always had a sponsor. I mean, that wasn't always in practice. But in theory, someone always had this title of a sponsor in my life. What that relationship looked like changed from time to time. But, um, you know, so I started working with them and started, you know, back into steps and a recommitment to spiritual growth. And began a new journey of figuring out what God is and what higher power means and all that outside of uh the dogma or what i felt everyone had told me up to that point was it had to be this religious god out of some christian text and because i felt like that's what people in meetings were saying yeah and maybe some of them even directly were saying that but what i heard up until that point was you needed to have this god out of one of these christian or you know books and again, I don't know if that's what they were literally saying, but that's what I heard, and that's what I felt like people were saying. I feel like that's most people, and yeah. and, and not it's not a, a criticism of them, <clears throat> but I do think it's easier to kind of buy into something that already exists than to sort of create yeah, your own got from it all scratch. Spelled out for you, <laughs> right? Right. It's just a little simpler. So I do think that's where a lot of people are. So even if they're not trying to say that everyone needs to be there. It's kind of easier to talk about it from that place because everybody sort of understands it. Yeah. yeah. Um, And that's where I've been, you know, at least for the God relationship in the last 10 years is figuring out, well, what, what really does this word God or higher power mean to me? And how does it work within these steps? Because one thing that I always came back to, no matter what was going on in my relationship with a higher power is... There was a few basics that I developed early on in my steps that I knew if there was a higher power or if it's even possible, these are things that I would think they would want for me or these are things that I can base my life in. And they were like, probably not doing drugs, you know, staying clean, um, living spiritual principles and continuing to work the steps and help other people. Mm -hmm. Like those were some basic foundational things that I was like a higher power, like those things on their own can be a higher power in my life just those things you've are, been there for 10 years power. um it's changed and grown say you're overdue and for some change yeah <laughs> yeah and i'm still up for revision i mean so not to get too off because there's a few things i want to mention going back but i am back to a place where i pray regularly huh. which is something i have not done what probably in 10 years what's that what do you pray to I don't know. Don't care. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's just a, a practice that I've decided I want to add back. So, and it reminds me like early in recovery when I had no relationship with a God, it was the old, uh, put your shoes under your bed and then you'll be down on your knees to pray every day. And if that's too easy, you know, put your keys in your shoes and put that under the bed because <laughs> then you really have to get down. What does your prayer look like? Are you on your knees or is it just? No. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, It's more gratitude and it's more what i would call like speaking things into the universe or wishing well for certain people like if i know people are struggling or having health 
issues like mm. you know may they be well may they be feel the love of the people around them may they be f- supported and encouraged you know it's almost like a loving kindness meditation sort of yeah i mean and that's where a lot of it comes from is doing a lot of like the meta meditations mm-hmm. and loving kindness meditations um gratitude uh humility you know for me like let me not get in my own way let me try to look for opportunities to practice principles in my life so just time wise we got like 10 minutes so i don't want you to miss these few points you want to mention um so there were a few like pretty major events that had happened through those years too um my wife and i had lost a kid during that time she was pregnant and we didn't really tell anybody it was in between so we have two older girls um they're 19 and 17 and then in between there so since i'm william turk the fifth we always like I always want to say right. we, yeah. I always wanted to have a William Turk the six. Like you can't stop now. Like what the <laughs> fuck? So we had my stepdaughter. Then I had two other kids, you know, two other girls. Then we lost a baby and we had kind of decided we weren't going to try again. Um, and then a few years later we had my son. So mm-hmm. there's a gap, that four year gap, but it was funny. We had given away all our baby stuff and decided we weren't going to have kids anymore. And then we ended up pregnant and, redoing and rebuying all the baby stuff <laughs> what's that so, if you want to make god laugh make a plan yeah um so we do have a william turk the six now mm-hmm. um he had some difficulties as a kid and i'm not 100 percent sure why but he had some real anger and violent issues when he was younger uh things threatening us with knives telling us he wanted to kill us and he wanted to stab us and if you're a person like me that watches like a lot of documentaries, you realize like that shit leads to like school shootings and mass murders and stuff a lot of times. You, you named him wrong. Internet. It, he was yeah. Chucky. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, again, it was just an area where recovery sort of, I don't want to say stepped in, but intervened in that course of action. And we said, this is not right and it's not healthy and we need to look for help outside of ourselves. And you know, when my daughter was sexually abused, we put her into counseling and therapy, which I was a person always against counseling, mm-hmm. therapy, all that stuff's fucking stupid. You don't need it. You can do right. things on your own. Um, and I had become open to those things. And so, you know, we started taking my son to some therapy and he got some counseling. Now he's a great kid. He doesn't have any of those issues, at least outwardly anymore. Yeah. <laughs> at least that we know of. They're all hidden in the uh, room Yeah, now. he's a lot older now. But you know it's hard to when you're a person when you're a couple my wife and i were both people in recovery you know it's hard to go in and say hey we're having these issues with our kids hey you know our family's not this perfect thing that everybody thinks that it is like we still have struggles her and i have had issues in our marriage where we've you know talked about separating or divorce or thought we were going to have to split up or you know like those things come up in life And people sometimes look at your outsides and don't realize, like, there's a lot of internal struggles that people go through um, that aren't necessarily public, you know, and things that you share with people in private. And when you're people that are sort of, I don't know, I hate to say put on a pedestal, but like looked at a certain way in the recovery community, it is sometimes hard to walk in and be like, yeah, I'm having some real issues in my marriage. Mm. You know, yeah, we're having some real issues with our kid. Like, he's really getting into a lot of trouble and we don't know why and we don't know what the fuck we did wrong you know right. <laughs> like and feeling like we did something wrong but being able to talk about that openly and honestly um that's difficult you know or, or it can be difficult if your yeah. ego's in the way um 
and I've learned now, like, it's not as hard because I've done it. You know, I've been able to talk about those things and realizing that what's most important is not how I feel that other people look at me, but how do I get the support and help that I need to help them get the support and help they need, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I've heard the idea, like, I come into meetings and look like shit so that I can go out in the world and live like gold or something like that, right? Like, that's our, kind of our place to be able. And when you lose that ability to be able to share the darkest parts, you know, if you don't have that spot somewhere in your life, it, it really, you hold it all inside and you, you act from that place instead of being able to free yourself of it more. Yeah. Talking about it. Well, and that's been my sort of cycle of coming in and out of, I, I say in and out of recovery. I've always been involved in recovery. It's just changes at different times. You right. know, I had one of my sponsors described it as a pendulum that kind of swings back and forth. You know, we'll go where we're sort of way out of recovery and we're way off over here or we'll swing way back where like recovery is our whole life. And the best place to be is probably somewhere in the middle where we have like this really, you know, balance of life and recovery <laughs> don't rush to get to that middle balance point because i'll tell you right now that's death yeah <laughs> <laughs> like the swinging back and forth is the process yeah, and as it slows down you're getting closer to being done that's probably true <laughs> um but you know for me like life will get i don't even want to say it'll get good i'll be going along i'll be going to meetings Everything will be okay. Things will get busy. Kids have stuff going on. I have stuff going on. Life gets interesting. Meetings slack off. Maybe my relationship with a sponsor slacks off for one reason or another. Um, I stop doing things that I need to do. Problems come up. I don't feel comfortable talking to anybody about them. I go internal in my own head on how I'm going to fix it and what I'm going to do about it. And that's a dark place for me. I feel like know? somebody would say, that's oh, you taking your will back and putting your hands back in your life. <laughs> That's probably somewhat, I mean, that's, <laughs> my understanding of higher powers, yes, that's true. That's exactly what happens. Um, like, I don't consistently run my own life well without some sort of influence outside of myself. Sounds where like I you get were living. that influence, it, what's that? Sounds like you were living. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's important for me to get that influence somewhere because my way of dealing with shit on my own is not that great. Um, the last big thing in my life that, you know, I want to talk about real quick was uh, we sold our house. So at 15 years clean, um, my wife and I decided she had always wanted to do this. There's nothing new for her. And we actually looked into doing this back when we were kids. But like when we were young, before we had kids, we had talked about being work campers. When I lost my job, I was like, well, what are we going to do? And she's like, we can be these work campers. We'll go work at campgrounds. You work somewhere for a couple of months. Then when that season's over or whatever, you find a new place to go. And you might go, you know, in the winter, you're going to go to fucking California or Florida or somewhere warm. And in the summer, you can go wherever up north to all these different places. And you just work at these different campgrounds and travel around all over the place like gypsies, sort of. <laughs> and we had applied for a couple of jobs and never got them. And then I ended up where I was and. I mean, of course, there was a part of it. It's like, no way. That's fucking not me at all. I'm Mr. Conservative white picket fence guy like that's what i think i want but at 15 years i'd figured out oh i mean that stuff's nice and it's great but it all takes its own level of 
work and responsibility and and commitment to all those things and having a house is great but do you like mowing the lawn and fixing utilities and the fucking roof leaks and it needs a water heater and you know that becomes its own thing um more so than just owning a house you know right. and same with kids and a job and all that like it it has its good and bad and so we decided to sell our house and to have our camper and we traveled around the country for a couple of years mm-hmm. and we homeschooled the kids and uh that had its own bunch of challenges um it was difficult it was a hard adjustment for them and it was a hard adjustment for us and in the beginning it was pretty rough especially with my son we had a really really hard time with him um he didn't want to do homeschool he didn't want to listen to us he was pretty angry i don't know exactly why he wasn't exactly sure why it might have been we sort of moved away from family supports and his friends and where he felt secure in his way of dealing with that i think was to lash out like emotionally in anger um my girls seemed to do okay with it somewhat at least that we knew um they each sort of handled it their own way but we did a lot of fun stuff i mean we went to these new places and we saw all kinds of things and we did lots of trips and you know, it was a pretty amazing experience, but one of the things it did to me was pushed me away from recovery. You know, I didn't, we would go to meetings in new areas. I wouldn't know the people. I wouldn't feel comfortable. It would be different and I would be an excuse not to go, you know, and, and so I got away from meetings. And so for three or so years, two and a half years, I might've meant to 10 meetings in that whole couple of years. Um, I had no relationship with my sponsor. I mean, I might've called him two or three times over the years. And I had one or two friends that I would call like occasionally, you know, once a month or so just to check in and say hi, but that wasn't really recovery based. It was more just, Hey, how's it going? What's going on back there? And those sorts of things. Um, and we suffered. I mean, it was a hard adjustment and I didn't handle it. Well, we didn't handle it. Well, um, my recovery suffered and we ended up coming back to Maryland, you know, and settling back down and buying a house where we've been now for a couple of years. So, but life is good. I've been back into pretty consistent, uh, home group sponsor relationship, working on steps, like all those things, this podcast, like all those things have been pretty consistent in my recovery for the last two or three years, you know, and I feel like I'm in a really good place. And you didn't think you would have anything to say for the recovery portion of the journey. <laughs> I know. We've had some crazy stuff happen in recovery. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, I mean, there was just highlights of recovery parts. That yeah. We still took up the whole hour. Even. I know. And I was like, my mom passed away in right. recovery. I was able to support her through all that. That was really mm. difficult. You know, all recovery stuff, man. Just living clean, experiencing life on life's terms. What do you feel like, uh, and I know this is ridiculous to ask because there's probably so many factors, but like what, if you could pin it on like one factor or one thing, what makes, I don't even want to say what makes your recovery good. What makes your life feel like it's in a place of wellness? Like what's the thing that's the most crucial for you? For me, it's. Being able to look at myself in the mirror and be proud of the person that I am, mm. you know, like that's incredibly powerful. Like my early in recovery, my sponsor had me do the, you know, look in the mirror and tell yourself you love yourself. And that was so hard. Like I would, I would cry, you know, because I did not love the person that I was. I didn't even like the person that I was. I felt so far away from what 
my spirit felt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the the person that I wanted to be in my spirit was so far gone from who I was at the end of my using. You know, it just didn't seem like it was even possible to feel like I could like myself. Damn, talk about a full circle journey. I feel like if you looked in the mirror now and actually sat with that feeling of how close you are to it, you'd probably cry now too. Yeah, yeah. And I I think that a lot. I mean, I I feel like that's what my process of recovery has been that. And I know we've kind of shared about this before, but it's like it's not to just be like some cookie cutter thing, some cookie cutter result of doing some work. It's to be like my authentic self, to be happy Mm. with who I am in my spirit and, you know, to live by my values and my morals and the person that I want to be like, that's what's most important in each of our recovery journey. You know, that's what that journey should be about. It's like, who do you really want to be? What makes your heart happy? Like what makes your spirit, you know, like full and, and, exploding with like light you know what does that to you that's who you want to be that's what your journey's about maybe it's different than mine it might be you know it could be whatever you want it to be but finding that and being that you know should be what your goal is in recovery i feel like that's that old cliche of like the goal of the 12 steps is to figure out who you are and do it on purpose yeah Yeah. that's nice i don't know that i heard that much (laughs) i got a cliche for everything yeah well, all right. Uh, thanks for sharing all yeah. that with us, man. I think that that took a lot of bravery and mm. introspection. And uh, well, I only did it because I wanted to hear your story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put that off as long as possible. And I maybe go first. <laughs> We're going to book a lot of topics over the next few months, so I don't have to do but that. But now you'll wish you had went first because now that'll be out of the way. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm a little jealous of that. <laughs> all right. Uh, so take it easy out there. Try to love yourself and be who you are. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us.